Welcome back, everyone, to the second chapter of the Method to the Mythos podcast. I'm your host, Tom. And I'm your host, Max. We have a really interesting episode planned for you today about what it means to be human and life in the modern day. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the flow of the conversation. From the discovery of fire to the establishment of civilization, the beginning of philosophy to the peak of modern technology, we've reached the future. But now that we're here, where do we go? And moreover, how can we use the lessons of our past to better understand the present? The potential is limitless, and we are the means. We are the method to the mythos. All right, Tom, chapter two, here it is. I, uh, I know that we've been dreaming about this moment. It's not just the first one you put out, but it's the second one and everything thereafter that really makes the podcast what it is. But before we get started, I really just want to say this. Everybody who is listening and everybody who is listening before, I just want to express my heartfelt gratitude to all of you. Everyone who watched, listened to, and supported us with the initial release of the first episode, I can't thank you enough. I was not expecting the kind of response when we initially released the episode. And I really, as I said, I just can't thank you guys enough. Method of the Mythos already has hundreds of streams across platforms, and those numbers continue to grow every single day. Both Tom and I are committed to keep releasing quality content and growing this community together with all of you. So yeah, welcome. Thanks again for being here. Yeah, we can't thank you guys enough. It's been such a warm welcoming to the podcast sphere and we can't wait to start pumping out episodes because they're just going to get better and better with each episode and we have so many cool things planned in the future and to see the positive reaction from people it it drives us forward because it gives us that reassurance where yeah we've got something here and people want to hear it and it's it's fantastic and so thank you from the bottom of our hearts okay so into the episode now what it means to be human that is a massive title And although it is a very big dish to serve, we are prepared to serve it up for everybody who's listening. So let's get started. Before we go too deep into this and talk about all of the things that are happening right now, I think that the fundamentals are really important to touch on. And one of the main points that I want to talk about is how everything currently happening is starting to get a little bit more spiritual. And when I say currently happening, I mean the modern day. People are being drawn to exploring themselves and all different elements of their environment in a more spiritual light. And now I know that this is often being misassociated with more left-leaning demographics and ideologies. I touched on this a little bit in the previous episode, but I really don't think that that is the case. And I think that that's just a subtle part of it because it's a universal draw. People from all cultural and political beliefs are starting to see things with a more spiritual light. And this spiritual literacy and the empathy that people are starting to develop, it's softening the borders of the mind and it's allowing people to think a little bit differently. Now, one of the things to touch on with this, and this is why I wanted to bring this up, is that when you start to explore things in a more spiritual and accepted sense, you've got to be very careful about having a well-structured moral code or system applied to it. And the reason being is because there are limitations to acceptance and empathy. And I know that is a very controversial thing to say. However, it is true. We want to understand, accept, and even appreciate others who think differently to us. I'm one of those people. But there needs to be a line drawn, wherein a well-structured moral code would create that and keep us from going too far and actually enabling hazardous, dangerous, or at times completely deranged behavior and beliefs. We must understand that since we're animals practicing spirituality and enlightening ourselves among it, that we must not forget how we're also influenced by our animalistic instincts and desires. We quite literally have to rise above that and draw lines to control not only ourselves, but our beliefs in an objective and logical manner. And now I know we're on a controversial topic, so prepare yourself, but a good example of this is the death penalty or capital punishment. And many places are actually still practicing this, and quite often. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm 100% for nor against capital punishment, because I personally don't believe in absolutes, but that doesn't mean that we, as an advanced society, cannot objectively look at something such as capital punishment and logically determine that it's just not applicable to most situations, because it really isn't. There are so many different resolutions that we can explore before having to draw on that specific decision. 
And this is a prime example of drawing lines with moral structures, despite the fact that others have really strong beliefs towards it being necessary. And now I know that this is a topic that uh, Tom, you and I have talked about a little bit. So I'd really like to get your input on this and hear a little bit more about how you have relevance or experience specifically touching on this topic. Yeah, well, I think capital punishment is such an incredibly complicated subject to address because it's the laws vary from country to country and people's thoughts vary from country to country. And so you're just going to get different perspectives on it across the board. But as as you know, I'm a huge fan of Damien Eccles and he spent 18 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. And one of the things I've heard him mention in the past is that it's estimated that one out of every 10 people executed in the United States is innocent, which is a mind-boggling statistic. If that were the case with airlines, we would, uh, as a society, collectively lobby against airlines until they fix this, this wrong. And it's one of those topics that's... I agree with you completely. Absolutism is never the solution, but it's one of those situations where without a shadow of a doubt, it can't be carried through, at least from my perspective. And I think that a big thing that you mentioned is having a well-structured moral code needs to be applied with your engagement with all things and not let your emotions dictate your reaction to things, but to think about things logically. And that moral code is that logic structure that helps you make those decisions effectively. A good philosophy of this is do what thou wilt and harm none. And as technology is progressing, even that philosophy is starting to change because the way we interact with technology changes the way that we interact with everything. And I think it's an incredibly important point to address at the beginning of the podcast is how our technology has affected our consciousness in both positive and negative aspects. Because the technology we interact with shapes our experiences and what it means to be human in the modern age. And I'd love to get your take on how it influences people because I think it's a subject that is so, it's so close in front of everyone's face that it's overlooked frequently. And people don't quite draw the connections of how this technology is changing how we as people interact socially. Yeah, I agree completely. And um, my my point on this comes from a strong point of passion, but a lot of experience as well. I like to refer to this specific experience as digitally expanded consciousness. And now I know when you hear that word, the first thing that's going to come to mind is, you know, Neuralink and Elon Musk. And that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about digitally expanded consciousness from a very relatable and close to home point of view. We are spending so much time in digital environments and digitally influenced experiences that they quite literally are becoming a medium in which we are evolving and progressing forward. This is, a, this is a big part of what we go through on a day-to-day basis. It has a huge impact on us, and hence the title, Digitally Expanded Consciousness. So when I said I talk about this from a point of experience, I want to bring up a story that I actually went through when I was really young. When I was about 11 to 12 years old, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was in that time frame. I had my first experience signing onto a computer and downloading an online multiplayer game. Now this game, the name of the game for anybody who might know it is called Conquer Online. And anybody who heard that name and had a wave of emotions and memories come back to them, I I feel you. (laughs) This game was really, really close to me as well because it was one of the first globally established games that really promoted second life behavior. And me, as an 11 to 12 year old person getting involved with this, it was unlike anything I'd experienced before. So coming into this with a very, very fresh and I would say, you know, one of the most vital points of development in a person's life, which is that early adolescence, I had the opportunity to go and experience amazing things with people from all around the globe, such as making friends with an individual who grew up in Egypt or Singapore or China. And although there might have been a little bit of language barrier, I was starting to see things from a different point of view, which was their cultural point of view. And now this is amazing, and I loved it. It really warmed up my heart. But to talk about the flip side, when you have all of these different cultural upbringings and cultural beliefs and just regional differences from all around the world coming together, there's a lot of conflict that comes with it. 
We know that now that everything is connected, that conflict is being accelerated in some ways and alleviated in others. But what I went through as a young person coming into exposure with this is I was seeing people from my own community and people from other communities clashing over cultural beliefs in a very, very dangerous way to the point where I... I actually couldn't quite understand everything that was being said and was was happening in front of me because of just how extreme it was. Now, on that point, I was young, so I wasn't interacting with a lot of it, but I was experiencing it and I was observing it. Fast forward a little bit because I played this game for many, many years, and I started to get a little bit more involved. Now, my personality type is ENFJ a-type personality, so I'm sure you could imagine me getting involved with conflict, I start to try and take a leadership position or become an integrator in it. And this was incredible for me. I love it. I think that despite all the difficulty I went through, it gave me a really eye-opening opportunity to start to understand the world that we live in from different cultural perspectives, because I didn't want to just take one person's side. I wanted to try and understand both with my limited ability and experience at that time. But what was happening here was I was using this digital platform to evolve and expand and grow up, so to speak. And it was affecting me in ways that previously in society, we'd never really had the experience of this happening before. And this is why digitally expanded consciousness is such a relevant factor in our current modern life. And I think that it's more relevant in the people such as the millennials and maybe a little bit into Gen Z, but primarily millennials and late to mid millennials in particular, because they grew up as digital nomads, having a more independent experience as this technology and not just video games, but technology in general that connected us to people was becoming so innovative and so common and the interfaces were becoming easier to utilize. And what happens here is for me, it was gaming. But for a lot of other people, it took different routes. There was people who got so immersed in social media that that became the way that they started to understand and grow up in their life. And now I know there are plenty of negative opinions on people who spend too much time and associate themselves too heavily with social media. I completely agree with a lot of them, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of positives because this gave people an opportunity to start to understand themselves, explore and actualize themselves on a digital platform which gave them tools that we as human beings don't organically possess. So there are a lot of benefits that come with this as well. And social media and gaming, again, it's not exclusive to this. Any type of digital platform we interacted with and we spent a lot of time with contributed to this digital environment which influenced us. And that could be anything from gaming like I had, to social media like a lot of people had, to forums, to chat rooms, to really anything that we interacted with. And I know that when it comes to you, Tom, you've had vastly different experiences than I have. Digital communities in general are something that both you and I have had a lot of experience with, but on different levels. And I know that the effects and the influence from the digital community has a huge impact on how you will develop and your specific set of beliefs will actually be molded and pretty much become you because we are what we are influenced by primarily. No matter how novel the inner self might be, what we put out into the world and how we communicate it and understand it through our thought forms is primarily influenced by what we've come into contact with. So, Tom, I really like your points and your experience on this because I think they're connected yet different than mine. So, you know, take it away and, uh, and drive it from here. One of the things I find really interesting about all this is that 40 years ago, those experiences that you had in your adolescence would have been an impossibility unless your family was some sort of jet setters who were off doing things abroad and working. And, and that's normally how that experience was, was laid out for people. But because you had this technology, you had access to this whole realm of experience that most people haven't. And the cool thing is, is that this podcast is a continuation of that because you know, we have no idea who's going to find this in the future and listen to it and go, whoa, you know, I'm from Uganda and I'm listening to this podcast from these people in Canada and it's shaping how I think about the world. And, and that's, it's such a, an interesting thing because it's, it, we all, our actions all affect each other in some small way, shape or form. And it, it's so interesting how it, everything that we experience shapes 
our entire reality and our experience. And for me, like, I've gone through phases where I've played video games online, but it just, it never really resonated with me. The vibes of online gaming, just, there was a lot of toxicity in it, and it just, it didn't, it didn't mesh with me, and so I just kind of naturally shifted my gaming habits into single-player campaigns and couch co-ops with friends, because I'm all about stories and community. And though I did make some friends on PSN that I still have contact to with this day, so at the end of the day, I think it's really about curating your online experience and maximizing the benefits while minimizing the negatives. In fact, if memory serves me correctly, the first time you and I ever hung out was digitally. It was at Jack's house, and I was there physically, and we took turns hot-seating the controller on Left 4 Dead 4, and within a year, we had become steadfast friends. Oh, that Left 4 Dead, that was quite the experience for us. I think that, to touch on that point before you go forward, my apologies for interjecting, is some of the team-based games that we spent a lot of time playing, I think they really reflected on our ability to work together as a team in the physical world going forward because whenever we had to do something and we had to mobilize and get things done as a team we were just efficient and we got things done well and i've seen it not just with us but with other people when you have that teamwork mentality and you just really resonate with other people things get done quickly and what better way to improve that than over and over again without the consequence of not being able to reset the game on the online platform Yeah, it's it's a perfect medium for it. But I think that it's an important thing to mention that with the positives, there are some negatives because with that like-minded group of individuals can come the dreaded echo chamber. And that's something that you want to avoid as best as you can. Because I think the commonality that both past and present humans have had to contend with is dealing with and mitigating social echo chambers that develop amongst like-minded people. Uh, The communities we engage in shape our outlook and opinions, and no human is unaffected by this fact. And as we start to gravitate and delve into these new communities, both physically and digitally, it's important to go in with a critical mind, lest you get swept up into conspiracy theories, hoaxes, and grifters. Or even worse, racists. The best piece of advice I could give someone when dealing with echo chambers and toxic people is to expand your social circles, tune into your intuition, Enter a Zen state of mind and ask yourself, is this the right thing for me to be doing and for the people around me? Your intuition will let you know what the answer is immediately. And just to give an example of how this works in real time, pick two things you want or two things you think you want and do a coin toss and call it. If the outcome is unsatisfying in any way, you know what the answer is. So go with it and trust your gut. Tom, I absolutely love that statement. That is one of the things that you've said to me before. And um, although I haven't quite put it into words like you did until you told me, I got to give myself a pat on the back because as these kind of things were happening, quite literally, I have made two decisions and flipped a coin on it and felt like I just wasn't happy with the outcome and gone with the other decision. And though I at the time might have had a bit of a pride issue and felt like it reflected on my integrity, I knew deep down inside that what I really wanted was the other option. So I went with it. And I think that people actually have that experience on a regular basis. And that the idea of flipping the coin is kind of more of just calling yourself to action than it is really letting fate determine the outcome. And on the side of trusting your gut and going with your intuition, now that we have some of the fundamentals mentioned about what it means to be human in our modern world, let's talk about what is happening in the world. And one of the really big things that's happening right now is the pandemic. And now I know that there are a lot of people who are affected in a countless amount of ways. So I'm not going to say that I know everything about how the pandemic has affected us. But what I do know is how the pandemic has affected lifestyles and work-life balances in general. Everybody is going through this new experience of transitioning into a hybrid style of existence. And when I say hybrid, I mean primarily isolated because we've spent the last almost year and a half in isolation developing isolated habits. And if you don't think that a year and a half is enough to actually establish and make those habits a part of our being, well, I don't know what to tell you, but I think you might be a little incorrect on that one because it actually can take only a matter of months to develop really, really strong habit that could take a year to break. So we have to take this into consideration. Now that we're looking at, I would like to believe the tail end of the pandemic, I don't know for certain, and I'm a little bit hopeful on that matter, but I do like to believe that we're on the tail end. We have to start to understand that as we move to a new normal, 
we have to look to our past and understand what made us human before and apply it going forward. Now, the reason why I think this is so important is because when the pandemic shifted into its full steam, everybody is not coming into the office anymore, you have to stay home, quarantines, isolation, what we were forced into to keep the world moving forward was an hyper-accelerated state of hyper-connectedness. And I use the word hyper twice because everything moved faster than we could have ever imagined. Sure, we were going through a technological revolution and we were developing this kind of technology and implementing it into the world that we live in, but it was moving at a bit of a slower rate and we were able to mentally keep up with it and adapt to it because that's what we do as humans. But when this happened, we ended up getting pushed much faster than our mentality could have kept up with into this kind of world and we saw the kind of effects it had. It brought with it a lot of mental issues. And I think that that's a positive as well as a negative, kind of a gift and a curse, because when that came to the front, we ended up actually addressing mental issues. Even though it had been a problem for many years before then, we started to see it a little bit more seriously. And I know that Tom and I are actually going to touch on that topic individually on a future episode, so I'm not going to go into too much detail on it, because I could go off on a huge tangent. But to get back to the technology side, this hyper-connected technology, it introduced remote workplaces, remote interfaces, completely digital forms of communicating and interacting with people, cloud-based technology, which I love, but at the same time, it really, it put us in a position where we no longer had to actually go and see anybody or transfer anything physically to somebody in order to work collectively on something. You could quite literally work with another individual at the same time, in real time, on something in a cloud-based platform, and it would just be updating. You would never really have to see people again. And that's where I get into the issues of what's happening and how we have to look at our past and remember what it means to be human is because when we get into hybrid life and then hopefully transition more into an accepted and involved physical life, we want to remember the needs of humans is not what is being actualized right now. We cannot just be a chip or a processor in a digital world. We need to go out. We have to go and interact with people. We're social beings. We're in a position going forward where somebody could quite literally never leave their house and live their life without ever having to go out and live in the real world. And that's a very dangerous thing to think about. We've talked about this and created media and movies about this and the negative effects it has on society as a whole. So these are one of the big things that we have to think about. And we have to keep in our minds when we're making the decisions on how we want life to be moving forward. And the reason why I think this is particular, that we got to address this and look at the future, is because when you think back to a historically comparable point that's relative to this, I just, I don't think that there is one. Now, there might be some similarities between different transitions and huge paradigm shifts that humans have gone through. But this specific situation and the difficulties and consequences that we're going to be dealing with going forward, I really just can't draw parallels. But the nice thing is, is that where we are right now and our ability to be self-aware and look at things with an objective and logical mind allows us to actually look forward into the future and address concerns before they come up. This is something that I know humans aren't famous for but we are starting to get better at. So we've got to start putting a little bit more effort into it. And that leads me to a really, really cheesy phrase, but I love it. And uh, it, it kind of sits close to my heart because I'm a Marvel fan. Uncle Ben said it best when he said, with great power comes great responsibility. We have power at our disposal, speaking from a technological point of view that we have never had the opportunity to interact with before. But now that we have it, we have an even greater responsibility to use it correctly. And if we don't use it correctly, the consequences could be drastic. So I know that this is a little much for some people to try and wrap their head around immediately. But ultimately, what I'm trying to get at here is that when we're talking about digitally expanded consciousness and the fact that we're trying to adopt a more spiritual outlook on the environment and the elements of our life, we need to take all of this in. And we need to put it through a filter of we are human and what do we need to stay human so that when we move forward, we cannot move forward with baggage and bruises and scars, but we can move forward shining and more refined and more powerful and more capable overall as a society.
First, I'd like to say that was incredibly well-spoken, and I just need a minute to collect my thoughts, um, because you really drove it home there, and I, I loved it. Um, and, but to, uh, to address my point on it is uh, what I find incredibly fascinating about how the pandemic has unfolded is how it is highlighted in the most blatantly obvious ways that the structure in which we operate our society is outdated, archaic, and benefits corporations over individuals. And at this point, there is no denying it. It's become blatantly obvious, and there's no... Once our brains have recognized it, there's no unseeing it. It is there. And, for example, one of the things in the culinary industry that irked me the most prior to the pandemic, but once the pandemic came, it shone a spotlight on it, and suddenly things had to shift, was business owners in the culinary industry frequently expect employees to come into work sick, which is absolutely mind-boggling. I'm serving food to people, cooking food, and you want me to come in? Like, that's totally unacceptable in a modern society. Honestly, I'm really hopeful for the future because the pandemic has highlighted all these things, and because we have all this technology available to us, it we're talking about it constantly. And because we're talking about it constantly, it becomes harder to forget. Whereas when you look back in time to the 1918 pandemic, everyone was wearing masks, everyone was changing up how they lived. And then once the pandemic ended, everything went back to normal. Whereas now there's so much video documented evidence and people talking about it and having lived through it that it's just, it's going to shift the way that society is structured from this point forward. And I think it's going to be for the better. And I know that there's a lot of controversy with how the pandemic has been handled, but I I truly believe that we are on the upswing on this and that life will return to a semblance of normalcy, but it'll be a different kind of normal. And honestly, I'm okay with that. If you guys have hand sanitizer in front of everything from this point forward, I'll be a happy camper. Because quite frankly, looking back at how I lived life before the pandemic, people are gross. And I was kind of gross too. And now I'm like hyper aware of it. And I don't want to be some germaphobe afraid to engage with the world. But I haven't had a cold since this pandemic hit. In fact, I'm pretty healthy. And it's because I've been very hyper vigilant about washing hands, sanitizing, uh, wearing masks, and just keeping your circles small. And technology allows us to keep our circles small. I There's so many friend groups of mine that we're able to constantly keep in touch with each other because of this technology. And I couldn't imagine what it would be like if we didn't have access to all this. The fact that school is able to take on an online format, even though the education isn't quite as good as it is physically, the fact that we're able to do it online is a blessing. Because, you know, if it was 1918, I wouldn't be too keen on sending my kids to school for an education or death. You know, you're going to choose life over death, right? And as society starts to pick up more and more online formats, we're going to start to see more and more shifts towards automation in all aspects of work throughout society. From my perspective, there's two outcomes that can come from this. Either the government shifts the way it's structures, structured and implements a social program in which people are given a universal basic income that allows them to engage with the economy, or we all become homeless. And I, for one, want to create a world in which my descendants aren't homeless and are living in a society that has universal basic income and universal health care and a quality of life, free education. All of these things that people look at and go, we can't afford that, but we can afford to create missiles that we can shoot down air vents. Like our priorities are in the wrong spots right now. And I think the pandemic has really highlighted how this corporate greed mentality that society has been operating under is no longer a viable or sustainable model. And there's going to be this shift of human first. Issue with that shift is, is that there's going to be a lot of work to get to that point where it makes the transition from the old way to the new way. And that's where we as the new generation come in, right? It's up to us to start engaging and make sure that we make the world better for everyone around us. And living in a Western nation like Canada, we're incredibly lucky to have access to the technology around us. There are so many parts of the world that just don't have access to this technology or reliable internet services. Because we do, it shapes our reality and our overall experiences as individuals in the physical world in a way that is completely foreign compared to what any generation of our ancestors had to deal with prior to us. A prime example of this is cell phones. 
They play such an integral part in our lives, and at no point in documented human history have we ever contended with this type of technology in our society, as well as the challenges it brings. And it brings a litany of challenges, and we're no strangers to it. Yeah, definitely not. When it comes to cell phones, especially growing up in the age where I did not have a cell phone when I was single-digit age, but I had some of the first edition cell phones. I had cell phones back when the initial Nokias were out. I remember those Nokias. They were like, they were status statements. But that point is very particular. And I just want to interject here a little bit. Sorry to cut you off, Tom, is I actually follow a famous author. And I absolutely love what he writes because he writes two books that are complete polar opposites, but so incredibly valuable in their own right. Now, the author that I'm talking about is Near Eyal. And if that name doesn't ring a bell, you might know one of the books he's most famous for. It's a little yellow book called Hooked. And it's the book that you would see in the hands of almost every Silicon Valley tech giant, because what it is, is it's a book that talks about developing and shaping technology that actually creates addictive habits based on human psychology. And yes, that is extremely dangerous in the wrong hands. I had the exact same thought when I first heard about that book. And it is, you know, it has actually put people who develop technology in a position where they can take advantage of people because they know us better than we know ourselves. But to give Nir Eyal the benefit of the doubt here, because, you know, he's an incredibly intelligent person, is he also wrote a book that's a little bit more modern called Indistractable. It's one of my favorite books right now. I'll make sure to leave links to both of these books in the description. If you're reading Hooked, don't go and develop software with bad intent, please. Anyway, to get back on the point here, Nir Eyal actually wrote a book that is the complete polar opposite of Hooked, and that is Indistractable. This book talks about the exact same point, human psychology and our interaction with technology, and how that interaction with technology creates addictive or reliant habits, depending on how we utilize it. Now, I'd like to believe that I have a healthy relationship with my cell phone for the most part. And Tom, I also think that you, for the most part, have a healthy relationship with your cell phone, you know, within reason. Yeah, I mean, I'm no stranger to four in the morning Reddit holes. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. But at the end of the day, it's about understanding it. So when you're looking at your relationship with technology and how you become habitually reliant on it, Tom, talking to your point directly, one of the biggest things we do when we're bored or we're feeling like we need a dopamine rush or just need to fill that void, most minds and most habits will turn to your cell phone first. You will find yourself scrolling on whatever your chosen social media feed is with absolutely no purpose. And time will just fly by because it's just the way that your mind is now programmed to treat that. So anyway, Tom, I just wanted to interject there. Um, I'll leave some links to Near Eyal in the bottom. And if you guys want to hear me talk about more stuff like that, quick shameless plug, follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn. I talk about this all the time. (laughs) But go ahead, Tom, take it away. (laughs) Yeah, no worries, man. I was almost finished anyways. Uh, To continue, though, because we're privileged to live in a developed Western nation, it is incumbent upon us to utilize our experiences and the technology we have access to in order to shape a better world for future generations. And this is where I believe blockchain technology plays a huge role. And now, Max, I know this is your area of expertise, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the positive and negative aspects of this new technology. Yeah, for sure. This is, uh, this is a big, big passion point for me. And not to mention the fact that Anybody who is frequent in the YouTube channel knows that I put quite a few videos up and I'm probably going to put a lot more up because I'm pretty passionate about cryptocurrency and blockchain as a whole. Now, here's some things about crypto. I want to touch a few of the things that specifically I am more familiar with. And one of those is ETH, Ether, Ethereum. There's a bunch of different ways where people refer to it and they are different, by the way. But I'm going to talk about Ethereum as a whole. Ethereum is an incredible blockchain development that is kind of like. I'm going to relate it to the internet. Think of it like the internet, but take the internet and the way that we have developed the internet and not just that, but profited on the internet and flip it upside down. So whereas the internet has a base level of protocols and computations and computer programming technology and all of the apps and everything we develop and profit off of is on top of it, Ethereum is upside down. Ethereum has a computation platform, which is run with Ether, which is the fuel that supports computations on the Ethereum network. And everything we develop is underneath it. So the profit point, which is above, is actually in the protocol section. And there are some pretty intense research papers on this. One of the ones that I like to refer to a lot when it comes to Ethereum is the FAT protocol. 
Once again, I'll leave a link in the description if you want to read a little bit more on that. But the FAT protocol talks about this in extreme detail. To give you guys an image though, think of the internet like I said, flip it on its head, and now understand that in order to get to the apps, in order to get to everything that we develop underneath the protocol level, we need to be able to utilize Ether, which is Ether. That is the fuel for computation. So this is why Ethereum has a more intrinsic value in my personal opinion than a lot of other cryptocurrencies because it is building its value intrinsically not off of just what it is and how it holds value on a peer-to-peer -peer level, but on everything that is built within it. And that is projects like one I love, which is Axie Infinity. That is everything that's being utilized within our technology and internet right now by huge corporations, can I reference, by the way. When you have Visa, Microsoft, even the United States government backing Ethereum and developing their crypto innovations on the Ethereum blockchain, you know it's a serious here to stay part of our world. And although there are some elements that are similar to the dot-com bubble where you have everything around this, and not just Ethereum, I'm not going to say Ethereum is the only one and only blockchain, but there are a lot of different projects being built up and trying to profit off of this new development of a new network, new application in our world. It's similar to the dot-com bubble. Just try to be critical when you're looking at these things. Do your research and refer to people whose opinion you trust and who know about this before you go and start putting a bunch of money into it, please. <laughs> and now to touch on some negative points, because Tom, you mentioned it, there are negative aspects, and it's more than just what I just talked about with the dot-com bubble. There are some big points that people bring up when I talk about crypto, and they are against it. Now, one of them is the intrinsic value point. And I think that Ethereum does a really good job shattering that opinion because there is intrinsic value, we just might not completely know it yet, or in Ethereum's case, we know it, but we just haven't fully developed it to the point where people are accepting of it. But another point that I think is valid that people bring up is actually the energy usage associated with maintaining and mining cryptocurrency. Now, I agree with this. I agree that the boom and effect that the mainstream mining culture has is not 100% positive and that there is a lot of physical and psychological issues that are being perpetuated with this, such as the greed and opportunistic traits of humans. This is a human nature that we deal with in anything that we do. Now, when it comes to this, I actually want to reference a point that a friend of mine brought up on social media. Um, it's my friend Nick, really smart guy, really big into cryptocurrency and blockchain. If you're listening to this, Nick, I respect your opinion. I'm about to say it. He was talking to somebody who brought up this exact point, and he said that, look, I understand and I agree, just like I do. But the fact of the matter is, there is so much positive value to implementing and capitalizing on the decentralized and innovative aspect of blockchain and cryptocurrency. And if your point that you are keeping yourself drawn on and you're not able to move past is the energy usage of it, well, to be honest, that's an easy issue to address because first off, whether or not we capitalize on the positive aspects and elements of blockchain technology, people are going to continue to mine it. So the energy usage is going to continue to be a problem whether or not we actually want to use this and implement it into our world or not. And the second point that I add on in my own personal opinion is I'm a business person. When somebody brings up an issue, I don't look at it as an obstacle that can't be overcome. I look at it as an opportunity to solve and move forward in an innovative manner. If one of the issues you bring up is energy usage, well, the thing that comes to mind to me immediately is energy. Well, how are we providing that energy? Are we providing it in ways that are damaging to the climate? Are we providing it in ways that we don't agree with, that are regressive and industrial? Or are we providing these in ways that are futuristic, in ways that are renewable, in ways that help actually promote the development of an energy system in the world that we are able to back and push forward into our goal, which is to be a net zero or as close as possible to net zero carbon footprint society. And talking about society as a whole, one of the points of cryptocurrency specifically outside of blockchain that I am really passionate about and I like to mention is the fact that we should actually strive to integrate this because when we have cryptocurrency as a globally decentralized accepted form of wealth and payment, it brings us closer to becoming truly global citizens, where we're not held back heavily by the financial trading aspect of living where we want to live. And this allows us to be able to take our assets and our finances with us wherever we go. And it develops more freedom and opportunity to live as a citizen of the earth 
and actualize ourselves as such rather than just a citizen of our nation. And that's something I absolutely love about crypto, is that it puts everyone in charge of their finances and on equal ground. Everyone is disturbed that crypto is becoming the way of the future, and I can pretty much guarantee that when money shifted away from precious metals into paper format, people were equally freaked out and reluctant to accept this new reality. It's exactly the same with crypto. and We as humans give money in whatever shape it takes its value. And when people are operating on a decentralized currency system, they're no longer tied down to financial institutions and the nations in which they reside. And this is the really cool thing about this, is we're entering this phase in human history where becoming a global citizen is becoming an increasing reality for so many people. And don't get me wrong, there's still a tremendous amount of hardships for people to overcome in their personal lives and within societies across the spectrum. But as time marches forward, it feels as if humanity is starting to lift itself higher than we've ever been in our recorded history. And part of that benefit is the shift of office work into working remotely from home. At the moment, because the pandemic is still raging, people are cooped up in home all the time. But once society normalizes and people can start actively going out again, working from home is the way of the future. As we shift into this online format, the difficult task ahead of people is actively putting themselves into social situations in order to maintain the communal aspect that work is going to be lacking. And maintaining these physical communities is going to become incredibly hard for a lot of people who rely on that workplace social dynamic. And as office work shifts into an at-home format, I think it's a symptom of a greater issue within society. And that is that careers and the shapes that careers are taking are starting to drastically shift. And as office work shifts to this online format, more and more careers are going to start taking on different shapes. Max, I know you're a business consultant and your company actually does recruitment and career development. And I'm sure you've experienced a shift in the way people look at their careers. So why don't you tell us a little about it and how it's significant to the conversation? Yeah, most definitely. We actually do quite a bit of career development. So I have a lot of experience on this particular topic. And I have a really, really big point I want to bring up here. The world is changing. You just mentioned that it's changing drastically, but we're still looking at establishing ourselves and developing our careers the same way that our parents did decades ago. I, I can speak to this directly because I actually interact with a lot of people and I have to ask them that question. I had a comment section on a LinkedIn post one time that had somebody making a joke about, oh, tell people what you do in a really simple way. And what I chose to actually communicate at the time, what I did, which was recruiting, that's how we started with my consulting firm, is I said, I talk to people and ask them, what do you want to be when you're older? And they give me answers like an astronaut, scientist, a world leader, or a race car driver, and I got to make that happen. And what I'm trying to say here is I was kind of being a bit satirical about the fact that when a lot of people talk to me and tell me what they want or how they want to develop their career, what they use to describe their ideal career development is identical to what people decades ago used. And I don't say that I had experience with this, but my partner has been doing this for almost 40 years now, and I take his word on it. So I think he knows what he's talking about. But to get to the point here, the world is extremely different. So should we be looking at things and trying to develop ourselves the same way that our parents did? Well, we shouldn't. Our parents did not use the same systems as us, and we cannot use the same systems that our parents did to become successful. And I mean success all around. When I'm talking about success, I'm going to refer to the hierarchy of needs. I'm mentioning the entire pyramid, not just the bottom two. Monetary value and success is important. We need to have monetary success in order to actualize ourselves because without money, you can't go and do a whole lot in the world. But success is much more than that. And now more than ever, I think it's become apparent that we need to look at the whole pyramid and not look from the bottom upwards because what we have now is more opportunity, but with much more difficulty. And the reason I mention this is because the cost of everything does not accurately represent the growth of income and wages. And this isn't just on a minimum wage basis. Even working professionals cannot afford to establish themselves and live successfully independent lives with the same systems that our parents used. 
I am 100% certain that the age of independence or the age at which we have the ability to be independent and live on our own financial means is significantly different than it was when our parents were developing and establishing their careers. So that alone should reflect on the fact that we have to look at things a little bit differently. Now, because I don't like to just take one side of it, I'm not an absolutist. I want to look at this from both points of view. I mentioned that we have more opportunity. There's more potential in the modern day to actualize yourself and establish your career. And I mean that. One of the things that you and I had an experience with about your religious studies degree is that you didn't know what you were going to do for work. But I mentioned we're creating the work. And I mean that. I think that's an opportunity everybody has now. And I think that's why we have to look at the upper echelon of the pyramid. Now, I know that this outlook has been developed because with this hyper-connected age, we've actually had an opportunity to see people, both real and quasi, because there's a lot of fakes out there, who perpetuate themselves and market themselves as being at the absolute top of the pyramid. Wealthy, successful, and this and a lot of times is very exuberant, and people try to perpetuate that you need this financial abundance in order to reach that level. But that's not the case. It's really not the case at all. However, we have experienced this and we've been influenced by it. So the way that we develop our goals, aspirations, and desires, as well as our needs, is in a completely different manner than ever before. Because we see this, it influences us, we want it, and that's what we start to look at. That's what we start to aspire for. But if we were to look at things more internally, and we were looking at the fact of what do we want to do? What makes us happy? How do we actualize ourselves? What is our purpose? and that's what we draw on rather than reaching the monetary abundance, then we would find that we have opportunities to make a career out of what we love. And it ties into how we can establish and market ourselves to society and to a community so that they can support you. And I don't mean support just on a monetary value, but primarily, yes, the way that we can use the interfaces such as the internet and all of the different channels we have to interact with the other people on the internet we can market ourselves and offer people entertainment or value in some way, shape, or form where they therein actually support us monetarily and allow us to do what we love in the world. And now I know what you're thinking. Not everybody can do this. And I agree. Just think about how hard it is to put yourself out there and actually start doing this. This isn't for everyone, but for the people who it is for, It is extremely rewarding. And for the people who might not take this specific approach of selling and marketing yourself online to an audience, you can still apply a similar concept to understanding what you want to do with your life. When you go through and you work a job, make sure that you have a higher purpose to it. Make sure that you align with a higher set of goals. Don't just work a job to get money to then save that money to spend on becoming financially independent and owning a house or whatever it might be. Retirement is an objective, but it's not the main goal. So don't make that be your driving force. And if you do that, you will actually start to develop a completely different set of values and have a completely different set of issues, mind you, to bring you to the point that you want to be in and actualize yourself in our world. Yeah. And, you know, when you said that to me, when I commented about how I don't know what I'm going to do for work with my religious studies degree, you said, bro, we're making the work. It was like a, a light went off in my head, and a lot of the anxieties I had about the future were dispelled because in that moment it it became clear that, yeah, I am creating the work, and yeah, it, it's gonna happen, and so I've got nothing to fear, and it's just it's resulted in this massive shift and uh, output, and it's 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 been fantastic, you know, it just as technology shifts. So does the format of careers. It's, they're interlinked. And the way society laid out career paths for people in the 20th century is becoming as outdated as video rental stores. Like, I mean, honestly, the prospect of spending 25 plus years working dead-end jobs for shit pay is evil, and it needs to be thrown out with last week's trash. You know, as someone whose career is forever linked with religious studies, the idea of being forced to work in a field that I hate just to survive because the field I love doesn't have work is ridiculous. When people follow their passions, the world becomes a brighter place. And you better believe that I'm not going to waste my life doing anything other than my will. And now is the perfect time for this because the technology we have allows people to create new, legitimately viable careers like never before. And the future is infinitely brighter because of that fact. Moreover, we're in the early stages of these new careers blooming. In 20 years from now, there's going to be careers out there that were unimaginable at the time of this podcast recording. But before we wrap up, I think it's 
so important for us to address our personal interpretations of the question of what it means to be human. It, it's, it's such a big question, and it's hard to sum it up in one sentence, because it's different for everyone, because all of our experiences are so vastly different. But from my experiences, all the hardships, the ups and downs that I've experienced in my life, I would say that for me, what it means to be human is to love and be loved, fully and completely, unashamed, going out there and living your will as best you can. That's what it means to be human. For me, what it means to be human. Hmm. I think that you've probably heard me use this statement before because it, it's really deep. It's rooted in my soul, I think. You know, I have the idea that I might be an old soul, but regardless of that fact, some things are etched into your soul no matter how old you are. And I'm going to sum it up into one phrase and elaborate on it slightly. That phrase is, I need purpose and prosperity to be human. And now purpose is undeniable. I need to have a purpose. I need to actualize myself. I need to be something that makes me feel purposeful, but I need to do it in a prosperous manner. And when I say prosperity, I don't care if there's money involved, but I need to feel like what I'm doing is valuable. And as long as I have purpose that keeps me moving forward and prosperity that keeps me prideful and happy of what I'm doing, then I think that's what it means to be human in my personal opinion. And I think the beautiful thing about that is, is the fact that we chose different words doesn't make a slight bit of difference because at the end of the day, the message is exactly the same in both. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's going to be a parallel that we probably come into contact with multiple times because uh, you and I both already agree that this is not going to be the one and only what it means to be human episode. You mentioned that it's so vastly different for everyone, and we accept that. One of the things we mentioned in the first episode is that we're trying to put out this literacy and this information in an undogmatic way. So what I would like to leave everybody listening to this with is that this may be the first what it means to be human episode, but it sure won't be the last. We're planning on reintroducing this episode with guests and getting other people's opinions on this really important question so that we can get a little bit closer to understanding what it really means to be human. And you know, traditional of YouTubers always telling you to like, subscribe, turn on your notifications. I would rather you just comment and tell us what you think it means to be human. You don't have to subscribe. I mean, if you want to, you can but I would rather hear what you think it means to be human. And who knows, in a future episode, when we revisit this topic, you may be the guest that we have on telling us what you think it means to be human. With that, I think we can wrap this up, Tom. Really good episode, a lot of information. I am very close to this topic, so I apologize if I uh, went off on tangents here and there, but I hope that you guys really enjoyed the episode, that you got a lot of value from it. Both Tom and I are really passionate about this topic and felt like we really got to start with this being the second episode after our introduction. So hope you guys felt the same. We'd love to hear your thoughts regardless in the comments below or reach out to us. We're going to leave links to connect with us on social media platforms in the description like always. And with that being said, Tom, finish it out. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will. Till next time.